You're listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association. Welcome to MND Matters, the podcast from the MND Association. I'm Nick and I work in the research team at the association. And I'm Steph, I work in the fundraising team. And we have two very special guests with us today. Laura Willicks, our children's and young persons lead for the MND Association. My role within the association is looking at what support um, and services we can provide to whole families affected by MND. And that might include children and young people up to the age of 25. And our other guest, Megan Donaher, is 22 and her dad was diagnosed with MND in April 2020. Hi, um, so I'm Megan. I'm from North Wales. That's why I'm currently staying with my family because of the pandemic. So I'm home from university. Um, I study English literature at the University of Aberdeen. That's I'm in my second to last year now. Yeah, <laughs> I've been in contact with the MND Association since last October, personally, even though Dad was diagnosed last April. That's a long way up in Aberdeen from North Wales. Gosh. It is, yeah. Um, we, I mean, Dad came with me actually to every single university open day that I, I ever went to. Um, you know, I went to Liverpool, Cardiff, London, um, and then when I chose Aberdeen, he actually drove up all 400 miles with me to help me settle in and start my adventure in Scotland. So, yeah, it's a long way, but it's beautiful. I do love it up there. Is that the Granite City, is it? The Granite City, yeah, and it is. It does live up to its name. It's very, especially in the winter, it's very grey. So I'm I'm not mad that I have to be in Wales at the moment. And those sort of drives up there with your dad, I guess that's a, always a good time to chat in the car as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I've always had a really close relationship with my dad. We've always been a very close family. Um, we've always had very similar interests. You know, even the most mundane things, we'd always kind of go and see the same, you know, the new films in the cinema. We were always huge Game of Thrones fans. We were the two people that would get up at two o'clock in the morning to watch the new episode. Um, but no, Dad's always been really supportive of my education because before he retired, he was a, an A-level biology lecturer himself. So he even taught me in college, which, you know, when I was 15 was mortifying. But now it was actually such a blessing to kind of watch as your parent does what they do for a living and to be a part of that. So no, he's yeah, he's always just been amazing with my education. So he, he was ha- quite happy to drive me up to Aberdeen and see Scotland himself as well. And what year are you in at uni? I'm in my third year at the moment. So it's four years up in Scotland because it's a Master's of Arts degree. So I still have one year left. So I'm hoping that COVID doesn't ruin <laughs> that for me. Yeah. And have you been at home all year then this year? or? Um, so far this year, yeah. I came home for Christmas towards the end of November. Um, I decided to come home early because I wanted to obviously help out with dad and I don't like being that far away from home at the moment. So, and then I decided to just stay here for the semester and then I'm hoping to go back in September. And what's it been like being at home and being able to be closer to your dad and helping out? What sort of things does that involve? Um, it's, I mean, it's amazing for me. I, I think one thing I struggled with a lot and one thing I've spoken to Laura about a lot was the guilt that I felt being, you know, that far away. It's not like I could come home every single weekend and support my mum my and my sister who look after dad when I'm not here. Um, 
it's been really difficult to kind of adjust to that but we're used to it now so at the moment I'm with dad at home by myself because my mum's gone back to work and my sister's gone back to college so it's a full-time kind of job as well as doing uni online so obviously do the meds and the feeds and it's a very kind of structured routine every single day so it's quite difficult to balance both of them but I think you just get used to it it's one of those things. Yeah, of course. It sounds like you've definitely got a lot to juggle. I'm sure your dad absolutely loves having you there with him. Um, and obviously, what's it like on a, a typical day with your dad? I know you've touched on different things there, but fitting everything in, what sort of things do you do for your dad? And then obviously you balance your work with that as well. Yeah, so he has, um, I mean, mum does a lot of the medication, like she does more of the medical side to it. Um, so he does have meds, I think, three or four times a day. Um, and that varies week by week because we, well, it's like trial and error constantly of finding what works for him. Um, and then he had a PEG tube fitted in July last year and he didn't start using it until October. So we had a few months, you know, in between, which is really good because it's one of those things you never know when somebody is going to actually need, you know, become completely dependent on a PEG tube. So we were really lucky that he had that fitted a few months before um, we started using it. So we do that four times a day. So usually we alternate between who does it. If my sister's at home, she'll do it as well. Um, it's something that we needed training for initially to be able to kind of you know get the hang of it because it's really scary when you first see first see it all. Um, so we do that as well. And it's just kind of someone has to be with him all the time, you know, just in case he falls or there's an accident or it's just one of those things. It's just and keeping him company as well. Obviously, with lockdown, there's not a lot that you can do anyway. So it's just just being there with him and it's just trying to make the most of it, you know, being at home. It sounds like you do a great job and I'm, I'm sure he enjoys your company as much as I can tell you enjoy his and like being at home with him. And what sort of changes have you seen to your dad since he was diagnosed with MND last year? Um, so he was unofficially diagnosed in April. I say unofficially because I'd say he started showing symptoms in November, I think, of 2019. And then because of the pandemic, you know, it came at the worst time because it was like April. That's kind of when we went into lockdown. Um, it meant that appointments were being delayed and things like that. So I came home November 2019, I think going back now. Um, and initially it was, you know, his speech was very slurred and he felt a weakness on one side of his body. So we thought, you know, perhaps he's suffered a mild stroke. That was, you know, they were the symptoms that we associated with a stroke. And then during those first few months before we had the diagnosis, his speech gradually became worse. He'd stutter a lot more. Um, and then I'd obviously gone back to uni. So when I came back in April, in, in March, sorry, when lockdown hit, it was very, very notice, noticeable and apparent to me just how much he changed from Christmas to March. So it's just, it starts really, really slowly and it's just, it's speech, his movement was a lot slower. Um, and you can't really see the physical changes, I think, when you're here with him every single day. And then, you know, at that point we didn't really have any answers. So, find, you know, finding out like the diagnosis, there isn't one conversation that really sticks in my mind as being you know that was the moment we found out because we discussed it and addressed it as a family beforehand you know just with these mild symptoms we all had a rough idea of what to expect um but I remember my mum sitting in the garden one day and I could see I was just watching her reaction she was on the phone to the neurologist and it was just that moment of I know that he's kind of confirming what we already suspected and then we had so many questions everything just kind of becomes a blur after that because you I can't remember exactly how much I knew about MND at the moment that we found out he had it 
Um, we knew that it was going to be a very heavy defeat, but I think we I still had the mindset. I don't know whether it was denial or just not knowing enough about MND, but my instinct was because there's still treatment, there must be a cure or there must be some way for him to get better. I think that was the mindset I had for the first few months of the, you know, the whole process. Um, and then when someone's diagnosed, there's no time to kind of emotionally process anything because everything goes at like 100 miles an hour. You know, you're introduced to the association. You have so many teams of people of like neurologists, dieticians, the ventilation team, physiotherapists, you know, like lists of people. And it feels almost like, this is not a very good way to put it, but it feels like an invasion of privacy at a moment when you are at your most vulnerable. Um, you know, your whole family becomes known to a lot of different people. You become like another statistic. And that's not how you're made to feel by these people at all. You know, I don't want that to ever come across in the wrong way because and then the help that we've had from the association and all these other people has been like a lifeline. You know, when you're thrown into the deep end of something that you've never asked or wanted to be a part of. Um, and so to kind of have people guide you and support you, even if it's, even if it is on the over the phone, which it has been for you know most of this lockdown, um, that's just a silver lining of the whole thing. Even if you know if there is one for MND, because that's just you know to go through. It's better to go through something like this with other people, I think. But you know, I've said to, I think I've said to Laura before. You know, she's amazing at what she does with people like me, and she's helped me feel a lot less alone throughout the whole thing. But it's, I think I remember saying to her once, you know, I wish I didn't have to know who you were. <laughs> you know, it's, it's such a blessing to know who she is. But I think, and you know, and to have all of these people. But I think it's one of those things that you really wish that I was, you were still naive and like the only cases of MND you'd ever heard of were of like high profile people in the news and things like that. It's really interesting that you say that as well, because I hear that from so many people across the association who are reaching out for support from the charity. They say, oh, we've met so many wonderful people on this sort of journey that we're on. However, we just really wish this wasn't the way that we've met people. But I'm really glad you've been able to get some support. And do you want to tell us a little bit more about what that support has involved for you and for your family? Yeah. Um, so I was put into my mum. I think literally the day that the neurologist called with the diagnosis, we were immediately, that was the first day that I heard of MND Association. We had no idea what it was. Um, so I know my mum and dad did a lot with the, you know, the association beforehand, but I was, it was the first week of October. I think I was put in touch with somebody called Joe Cunner, um, who, because that was the week I came home from university. That was the week my dad switched to peg feeding completely. You know, that's when he became dependent on it. So that was the week when, even though he's progressed a lot since then, that's, that's the week that stands out for me that I thought I really need to kind of speak to somebody who knows more about it. Um, so I knew that I was going to need support when I went back to university. So my mum gave me Joe's email and we spoke quite a few times and she eventually put me in touch with Laura because obviously Laura works specifically with uh, people my age. Um, and I, you know, we've spoken quite a few times since October, I think, just you know, if and when I feel the need to just kind of vent and then especially when I was in university, it was just a lifeline for me to just have somebody that I knew that I could go to. Um, even if it was just something really, really stupid, you know, if I had like a dream where I heard my dad's voice or you know, that was the thing that I went through in like, October to December where I really, really missed just hearing my dad's voice. And I used to just say that to Laura on the phone all the time. And it was just just knowing that somebody can understand and like listen to me. Um, and then, you know, it's just really comforting to know that somebody already has a background knowledge of what MND is. Because I think that's the most exhausting thing is just having to explain what what goes on. Um, 
and then Laura also has mentioned lots of other people I can't remember who like you know organizations that can also help my sister and I if we need it um, and I know the association have provided grants as well so my sister and I received a grant in October everything just seems to have happened in October um, which made it easier for me to come home that week and visit my dad you know because that was the time when my family needed me and then the grants have also gone towards um, my dad's mobility scooter which we could not live without you know because that is what helps him get out the house and that makes a huge difference to us and then only a couple of weeks ago we had a new chair that kind of raises him because he struggles to stand by himself um you know and somebody I think came to the house to evaluate like all the equipment that we've been given um to make dad a lot more comfortable at home and they arranged for the chair and then we had um Oh, they got like handles placed outside the door just to help him get in and out and they even like raised the bed to make it easier for him which I know is my mum's favourite thing because she feels like now she has to jump out of bed in the morning to get down because the bed is just really high but you know they're all things that the association have given us or they've helped towards that have made just the biggest difference you know a dad would not be able to move without you know all of these things in place so yeah they're the things that really stand out. Do you feel like you are kind of looking after your dad as well as your sister and your mum to some extent? Yeah, I think so. I think um, that was a huge thing when I was in university. I felt awful because my sister's only 17. Um, and that is a lot for, I mean, it's a lot for anyone of any age to kind of support a parent going through something like this. But I, yeah, we do take it in turns now that I'm home. My mum, obviously, I've just said my mum and my sister are now back in work and college. Um, so we do take it, my mum leaves me notes in the morning and we have, you know, at nine o'clock, can you have this medicine by 10 o'clock? But it's something that I never want dad to feel as though it's ever a chore to take care of him. You know, I don't want him to, him to ever look at the three of us and see us as carers. I still want him to see us as children and my mum as his wife. And it's, yeah, so it's trying to get that balance right. But no, we lo I do genuinely love taking care of him and I wouldn't want anybody else to ever do that for us even though it is it is an exhausting thing to do. What sort of things do you manage to do with your dad or as a family that make you feel like you are you know just the family and not having I know there's still that parcel of things that you would do to help and care for your dad all of you do that what sort of things do you still manage to do that just make you feel like oh this is my dad and we're spending time together? Yeah that's something I think we struggled with a lot that's something that Laura I think really has helped me with because when I came back for that week in October, I remember saying to her, you know, the same thing. I'm, I don't want him to start looking, you know, at us, you know, look, start looking, start seeing us as carers, sorry. Um, and I still want him to be, see me as being his child. So that's something that we've really struggled with. But I think just being at home, I think the four of us being at home makes a big difference. I think it's, um, you feel that a lot more when I'm here as well. I always feel like not left out, but I just, I don't like being away from him at the moment. Um, we just, you know, we watch films together. We try and I work as well as doing uni as well. So I always try and make sure that I'm home on the weekends as much as I can so we can just spend time together. I love taking dad out to, um, we go out for walks and we take him like, along the canal and down to the river and just, you know, fresh air and just spend, you know, obviously the mobility scooters there and there's still always some kind of medical thing that we need to bear in mind, but it's, just honestly just spent just normal mundane things at the moment because obviously lockdown is still happening and there are not many places we can go to um together as a family but no just spending time together and just that's all we can really do and just have conversations that don't revolve around 
MND, which is difficult to do. You don't realise how much of your day it consumes. But no, we always make a conscious effort to do that as well. Obviously, there are many other people out there in a similar situation. Have you been in touch or been put in touch with any other um, children and young people in the same situation? Yeah, so um, when I did my fundraising, I decided in September to do the Mission 5000 campaign. Um, and that was amazing. That for me was the first time I think I was truly accepting that MND was a part of our lives. That was kind of a really significant point of our journey for me personally. And that was also a moment when obviously I was put in, not put, put in touch, but I found other people who were also doing the fundraising. And then through finding these people, you understand their story and why they're doing it as well. So I know on, I mean, it's a kind of a young people thing, but on like social media a lot, I've met a lot of people who, who reached out to me as well. Um, there's a girl who sent me a message as well because she saw that I was fundraising and she said, my mum has just been diagnosed. She was my age as well. And she also had a sister. And it was the first time where I'd had a conversation with someone who was in their young 20s, who was also caring for a parent who'd just been diagnosed with MND. And that was just a huge sigh of relief because I think up until that point, I hadn't really been exposed to anybody else. And I think, you know, MND is an awful thing anyway, but I think to lose someone at this age is a little bit more rare I think Laura and I were saying last week it's just it's not as common for someone to be younger and have a parent who's um got MND um I've actually found that to not be true at all because I found lots of other people through you know gradually you kind of meet there are lots of um like organizations and smaller charities that focus on MND and raising awareness and things and I think the more you connect with those organisations and charities, the more people you meet through them who are also going through similar things. So it's one of those things, the girl that who reached out to me in October, um, her parent has just had the peg tube fitted um, last week and she sent me a message and she said, you know, I know your dad has gone through this. Could you please, you know, can I call you? Can we talk about it? And it's one of those, even though it's obviously a devastating conversation to have with somebody, it makes it so much more bearable knowing that, you know, there is someone else out there who is got who was now going through the exact same thing that you've done you've got already been through in the past um and she's just one person you know I know there are so many other people as well so it's really really comforting to connect with those people even though it's a devastating you know conversation to have but it's very reassuring at the same time it is really interesting to hear you say that and it does kind of show how important it is to have those connections and and I guess that's the the real reason behind us setting up the children's and young persons service. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Laura, do you want to just tell us a few things about exactly what is available for children and young people? Yeah, so all of the work um, that's been delivered by the association has been completely family led. So all of the work that we've done has came from the voices of children and young people and their families. They're the ones that have told us what we should be doing as an association. So we've really, really tried really hard to listen to their voices and deliver what they want, not what we thought we wanted as an association. Um, so we have a really, really wide range um, of stuff now. Some of the stuff is direct support and some is now finding the best support for young people and families that are out there. So signposting to other support agencies. 
Um, so we've done lots of things. We have the direct support that I offer, which came a lot through the COVID crisis, um, where families reached out and said, look, we are really struggling. We, we're, we're struggling with the pandemic. We're struggling with diagnosis. And what we've been able to do is talk to them families, guide them, support them, and give them um, access to other support services outside. Um, we also have memory boxes now um, that we have for children and young people aged up to 18. That's been funded by the Nick Smith Foundation. But what they are, they're really tactile, um, like shoebox size boxes that allow families to create, store, capture really small bits of information and everyone thinks when they get this MND diagnosis that they've got to go to the big Laplands and they've got to go to America and all of this for their kids where actually it's not about that it's about being a family about being able to talk openly and honestly about a big cuddle and a cry still being angry at them when you are do you know what I mean and just still continuing to be a family and what these boxes do is they encourage you to talk um, not about sad things, about funny things and um, past life stories and then to record them and keep them safe in a little box that you might not look at at the minute because it might not mean anything to you. But in years to come, you don't realise how important the little things are when you no longer have that person to ask anymore about them things. So that's a really lovely piece of work that we've been working on. We also have a counselling service um, for children and young people, which is a really lovely partnership with Bernardo's um, that's been funded by the James Milner Foundation. And this provides access to counsellors who are trained in MND for children and young people up to the age of 25, which was a really, really important thing for me um, because lots of services for children end at 18. Um, and there is a big difference that transition period between an 18 year old and up to a 25 year old where you sort of then fall into adult services, but you're not quite you are an adult, but your your needs are very different. Um, a lot of like like um, Megan are in university and you've got transition periods, career choices. Um, the fear of leaving home when you've got a loved one that's got MND. Megan um, is very good um, in the way she says she's okay with returning home but actually that's frightening to be having to deal with all that she had to deal with um, and what that means for her as a young person navigating her way in life and all of the other things so what we've done we've set up a counselling service with Bernardo's um, that has direct access so I can access a counsellor within five days of referral which is actually incredible because the waiting list for statutory services at the moment can be anything up to 18 months to see a counsellor and that's too long we don't we don't have that time to wait um and all the services about short sessions remotely in the young people's time to just provide them a space to talk um, and that doesn't necessarily need to be about bereavement it can be about anything that the young person is experiencing so that's been a really really fantastic service that we've got um, we also do memory making days because a lot of the young people that guide my work, so I have sort of a project team of young people, families um, and professionals who guide what I do. And when we were allowed, they told me that they wanted to be in touch with other people, but not necessarily being all of our MND. 
So they wanted that commonality of knowing that another person knew what was going on, but they didn't want to be the MND kid with the T-shirt and the blazer saying, I'm, I'm my loved one's got MND. Um, but they wanted to be around them. So we did some really successful memory making days, which we do hope to continue when the pandemic allows us to do that. Um, and one of the other things that Megan is kindly going to help me with is we're looking to see if we can set up a, a young adult carer type support group. Um, so for the 18 to 25 year olds who who don't quite fit into traditional adult care in roles, but maybe want to be around others or have contact with others in similar positions. Um, we've put a couple of shouts out on social media and we have had some responses from young people. Um, so we're hoping to get sort of an informal session together to start to look at what that might look like and is there a place to support um, young people who are in the same sort of positions. So it's really exciting. We've, we really have got a lot going on um, and it's all needs led. So it's all family led work. Um, and I, I, I hope we're reaching more now than we ever have. And I think COVID in a funny way has allowed digital to let us reach more people. So since um, April um, last year, so since April 2020, we've directly supported 85 families one on one. So very much like Megan, um, direct support over the telephone, emotional support and signposting. Um, that is equated to about 570 calls from me, which has, has been um, quite a lot. Um, but also we've delivered now 55 memory boxes to families over the whole um, of the, the three nations. Um, and we've delivered five family days so far. And we're at the minute, it's about 15 families who've gone through the counselling. Um, and that's only been running since December. Um, so we're we're doing some really, really nice things at the moment. I guess everyone's journey with MD is very different. And so there will be people who don't have such a great relationship with their families as Megan does with her dad and her mum and her sister. So I suppose what you're saying is there's different ways to reach those people. You know, maybe they'll be more receptive to a, to being, um, you know, called upon by by a young person, for example. But are there ways to or do we know of people you can't reach and other ways to try and help those people? I think there's. Um, I think what's come to light probably over this last year is that there is a whole sort of proportion of people affected by MND who have never reached out before because they didn't feel that there was a service for them or they were unsure whether there were others in the same position as them. And I think sometimes MND was always seen as the slightly older person's disease. So there was tended to be a lot of older people. Um, but what actually has happened is we have actually, there is a big, a large population of people with families. We think roughly around 12 to 14% will have children or young people living within the family home. That's a big, big population of people affected by MND. And what I've openly tried to do over the last little while is include grandchildren, closely affected nieces and nephews um, or relatives that all may, might be impacted. Um, and I think what we're trying to do is make us more, more um, reaching out to them people and delivering the right support, making sure that what we're doing is right. Um, and 
making sure it's targeted in the right places based on what the young people are telling us they want. Um, there was no point me delivering something if the young person said, oh, Laura, that's that's not what we needed. That wouldn't have helped me. You know, I didn't want that. Um, so it's been much more about trying to reach and put our resources where it's needed. So a lot recently I've been doing a lot of work with schools, with families who their young person maybe has told the school about what's going on but not in quite detail what MND actually means to them at home that suddenly their house has become hospitalised you know they're worried about sleeping they're not focusing on their education anymore and it's been about helping the teachers at school and the pastoral support to support the children better at school so it's targeting our support really to make sure we reach people but also letting people come to us when it's their time, you know, so that they know there's something there for them now and they might not need it at the moment, but when it's their time, there will be a service for them when they want it. So yeah, that's how we've tried to position the service. That sounds really brilliant and there's so much obviously going on and I know um, Laura's mentioned that Megan yourself you're going to be involved in one of the new projects and, and helping to to get that up and running and what was it about that that made you want to be involved why did you want to help us with it thank you <laughs> thank you um, I think just because um, ever since I've been I was put in touch with Laura and I've worked a lot more closely with the association I think whether that was through fundraising or just having conversations with other young people affected by it it's made such a difference and it has made me feel a lot less alone you know it sounds like a cliche but it genuinely it's such an isolating thing to go through and even though you know we all have our support systems of you know my friends have been amazing throughout this entire thing but it's something that is so specific and I think unless you have experienced it yourself it is just, I mean, even if you have you know every single patient is and every family is so unique with their journey with MND and their experiences so I think it's just having that kind of just you know like Laura said it's there if people want it and I think it's something that has genuinely just made such a difference to me and I've witnessed that firsthand so I think if we can kind of do that and reach more young people because I think it's one of those things you know I didn't know about um, the support that we could get until like six months after dad's diagnosis in the first six months I thought the association is just there for dad I didn't really understand how they could possibly kind of help me with it because dad's the focus he's the patient he's the one with MND so how could I benefit you know how, how could that kind of how could I get that support myself so I think it's just I think it's just it's so important because MND is one of those things that while it's affecting the person who has it to watch somebody you love become affected by it and to watch them deteriorate every single day is just that takes a toll on you that no one can ever really prepare you for um, and I think that one aspect of MND um, and many terminal illnesses that nobody really talks about is anticipatory grief um, and that's one thing you know you can understand why that is of course you're but you're always very nervous to talk about that with other people because if I said I really miss my dad to anyone who has no experience with MND to the people that remain outside of it they'd think but he's still here but obviously MND strips that individual of everything that they have um, and I think just that that knowledge I think you know so to be able to share that and to talk about that with other people um, I just think is so important so I'm yeah as soon as Laura mentioned it to me I was just very excited in a you know obviously it's a it's an awful thing to go through but I think if there can if we can have some light in this whole journey somewhere then I think that's an amazing thing to do. 
I think you're going to be absolutely fantastic at it. and thank you so much Megan I know it'll make a huge difference and even just hearing you speak now I'm sure that that will make a huge difference to a lot of people as well so thank you for everything you're doing. And how old is your dad Megan? He, oh, hope I don't get this wrong, 63 <laughs> I think he turned, it was his birthday last month so yeah 63 years now. Yeah it's great you've got that relationship that you've been able to sort of be friends as well as as well as a parent I mean that's really special and yeah. I, I, probably one of the things that I guess you know most people don't have if there is if there is any positive is is the fact that you know that there is limited time and you are able to talk to each other and discuss and you know take an interest in his life what he did in the past all those kind of things which some people you know they don't really get that opportunity so I don't know if that's um I mean, something you would have thought of in, in any detail, but I'm sure you've had lots of those kinds of conversations with him. Yeah, definitely. It's one of those things, you know, and I think the pandemic alone would have made me realise this, but, you know, we laugh so much more now than I think we have ever done in the past, which sounds so odd because we're going through the worst thing we've ever gone through and probably will ever go through. But I think it's things like this that, genuinely make you value like the time you have together so even though we can't really go out and do as much because of covid even just the four of us being in the house together you know this is that alone is something that would not have happened um because of covid but even without that you know because i was in university mum was working all the time and it's one of those things that it's just brought us together in the worst way possible but it genuinely has strengthened us so much more um and, you know, the the admiration that I have for my mum as well, you know, she went from just being a teacher to being a full-time carer overnight. And it's not something that, you know, we couldn't get people on our doorstep, you know, being there to actually give us all this help because of, um, because of the COVID and lockdown. So the way that she's kind of taken on that role and has just, she's so practical about everything as well and so realistic about everything and she's just it's like a superhuman kind of strength that she has um in looking after him every single day um but it is a, it's a team effort definitely it's one of those things if one of us is left alone with dad it becomes a little bit daunting i think especially for my sister and myself um i'm always petrified that he's going to fall or something like that but it's you know it's brought us together in the best way possible and like i said earlier it's such an isolating experience and every family is unique so while we have the best support system around us, you know, we each have people who care for us and would do anything to help us get through it. No one can say that they wholeheartedly understand what it's like because, you know, it's only the people living under this roof that can really understand what it's like. So we'll always have that thing, you know, that kind of holds us together. But it's, yeah, not a very nice situation to be put in. Have you found you've had to explain what MD is then to university and you said you you work as well which is incredible that you find the time to do that and does that does that make you feel angry or are you, you know is it understandable that people don't know or aren't aware of MD? yeah it's so frustrating and it's nobody's fault either because 12 months ago you know even when dad was diagnosed i really was so naive to it but it's no one's fault because there is just so little awareness and i think that's why i'm so eager to be involved with the association and do more work with them um yeah I had to I remember calling Laura I think in September last year I was just about to start my um next semester in university and I was really concerned that because 
you know, just in case I had to go home because dad became really ill suddenly or, you know, just the thought of MND is always on your mind. So I thought, you know, this is bound to impact my education a little bit. So I spoke to Laura about it and she encouraged me to reach out to my tutors and send them an email. And at first I said, well, shall I just say that dad's not well or shall I just say I've got personal struggles going on? And she was, you know, she was so adamant to say, no, you tell them that it's MND, you explain what MND is and you be very specific about it because it's not just like he's broken a leg or he's, you know, going to get better. It's very, it's one of the, you know, you have to be very specific and, you know, and, and I was thinking, oh, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to put that on to other people as well. I don't want them to think that I, I deserve special consideration when they're marking my essays. I don't want any of that kind of attention. You know, I just want, but I did also at the, at the same time want somebody to be aware of it just in case, you know, and it was the case that I did have to, I did need to come home in October. So I'm glad that I did reach out. Um, and they were so, you know, my tutors were really understanding about it. Um, but it's always that thing of do I say what it is because you know you can tell someone that they've got um, that you know I've got a dad who has MND and then you just have that kind of awkward moment I've had I've had I've had it before where I've told someone you know my dad's got MND and they've said oh that's awful I really hope he gets better soon and I just think <laughs> it's you know it's something I laugh about I have to laugh about it when it happens because I just think I don't want to, you know, what do you say in that case? You know, sometimes I'll just say my dad's terminally ill. That's kind of the approach I take sometimes because that just then just kind of stops the conversation. There are no more further questions. And you just kind of, you know, that's my way of getting out of it a little bit. Because when I find, you know, I do find when I do say um, dad's got MND that it just, people don't know what it is. And you don't want to then have to go into the whole conversation, you know, because it's just, you could go on for, hours and hours and hours there is so it's so much depth to this kind of disease um so yeah I do find it quite frustrating when I have to but I am also one of those people that really just doesn't want anybody to kind of bring it up at the same time even though I don't mind talking about it it's still always an awkward conversation to have with like your manager or with a tutor or something like that but it's also important to tell them because it's such a specific you know kind of thing to be faced with that it's important that you get the right support and have you seen awareness raising, you know, have you seen additional awareness of MND in recent times? You know, there's some more high profile people, Rob Burrow, for example. Um, do you think that's made a difference? I think so, definitely, because I remember going on, that was really difficult to watch, I think, first of all, that was the first documentary I'd ever really seen um of another family and I thought that was amazing that they included his whole family and you saw his children and that just made me feel like you know I saw so many similarities between the things that their family were doing and what my family were currently going through um and I remember going on social media after it and people that I go to work with people that I you know friends friends of friends were all kind of sharing it and saying wow I had no idea what kind of impact MD can have not just on the person who has it but on their family as well it's a whole team you know it's a collective thing that you go through um so that was kind of really reassuring actually to see more people talking about it but then it's one of those things they'll talk about it um you know when you see like high profile people you know, I know that Charlotte Hawkins a lot you know when she's raising money for charities it's always for the MND association and that kind of is so reassuring and comforting to see as well but it's one of those things I think people approach it differently when they know people who are going through it so it's you know before all of this it was I'd never heard of any real family <laughs> that had ever 
gone through um, an experience with MND and now my friends, my mum's friends, everyone is thinking, right, well, I know, I actually know someone now who has it. So they kind of pick, you know, they pick up on it a lot more. You know, it's more like it's more apparent, I think, when it happens. So, um, yeah, no, definitely. I think it gets it's important to get the conversation going because I think awareness is just as important as raising funds for the association as well. You probably don't realise it right now, but what you're actually doing for us and the way you're speaking is so incredibly brave and so open that it's, you know, another story of M&D coming out of the shadows, really. So, you know, I absolutely salute you and your bravery and, and working with us in this way is is completely outstanding. So hats off to you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you for letting me share my story as well, though. You know, just make sure you keep that. You, you're still his daughter and he's still your dad. Um, and you're you're doing incredible. And I, I can't I couldn't be prouder of you. I think it's one of those things you don't really um, you know, you kind of get used to it. It's something that you, know, you never fully become immune to the facts of. But like every time there's a new conversation um, about uh, even ways to make dads dad more comfortable or a new challenge arises that like you just didn't like you couldn't have foreseen, um, you do get used to it. But in that moment, because you just have to get on with it in that moment, and you don't really have time, like I said earlier, to emotionally process anything. You know, I say all these things and I feel like I'm just an outsider and I'm just watching someone else say all of these things. Um, but it never becomes something that you're okay with because you're just you are constantly made aware of how brutal and unpredictable um MND is. You know, every single day like it has the potential to be a very bad one. Um and then you get to the end of the day and there's still no time for like a sigh of relief or anything because it's just like I said, it's so unpredictable, it's not something that goes away every night. Um so I think it's just our job to like I say, you know, time is so valuable for us at the moment. So it's just our job to make it all count as cheesy as that sounds but no it really is true you really just don't take anything for granted so we will close off shall we i think yeah it's been amazing to listen to your story um your dad sounds like a great guy and um your family sound very very much together and you've got lots of friends as well um yeah so it's it's been a very uplifting experience actually to hear you hear you talk about it and and the work that you're doing is great so um it just leaves us to say a really big thank you to you for the work you're doing and thank you laura for joining us and explaining exactly how as an association we're trying to help children and young people as they go through this experience of mnd so thank you both of you very much indeed thank you You've been listening to MND Matters, a podcast from the MND Association. Find more information at mndassociation.org. And if you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode, contact our helpline MND Connect on 0808-802-6262 or email mndconnect at mndassociation.org.